welcome to the Valley Central Podcast with me, Martin, and today, special guest, Matthew Klein. If you don't know who Matthew is, he is the man. I'm just kidding. Well, he is the man. He is the uh, Director of Marketing and Sales over at Valiant Comics. We chatted this morning on all kinds of topics. We went a little inside baseball because I think uh, sometimes we forget about why certain decisions are made. So I wanted to get some input from him on kind of how the market is currently affecting the decisions that Valiant's making with their publishing line, uh, licensing stuff, and uh, future events coming up. So without further ado... Here's my conversation with me and Matthew. I'll be back at the end. Thank you for coming on. It's uh, it's a real pleasure chatting with you again. And um, I'm, I'm curious, like, how, how things have been a Valiant now that Diamond's coming back and comics are being put out again. I know you guys have a, a diminished publishing schedule for a little while. And uh, I'm cool with that. I know some people aren't. But uh, just curious to, to hear kind of what the general atmosphere is. The general atmosphere is, um, in many ways, it's a rebuilding phase, right? It's it's I liken it to a baseball team that's like we we got we found ourselves in a situation where we're looking at the board and we've got to look at we gotta look at the health of the franchise, we gotta look at the health of the characters and the IP and we gotta look at the health going on with the industry and worldwide. Um, and we gotta do what's you know, what is the best long term for all these characters, for these series, for this company, for you the fans. So it's put us into a position where after having so many conversations with retailers and team talks to retailers still every single day, uh, Monday through Friday, some people work on the weekends, even though I tell them not to, <laughs> um, work-life balance with that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's one of those things where, though, we're looking at the marketplace, we're looking at you know the numbers of cases, we're looking at where the hotspots are, we're looking at you know, what the what the buying patterns are for single issues, what they are in the book market right now. We're talking with diamonds multiple times a week. Um, as I said, we're talking to the retailers. So it's one of those things where looking at the whole board, looking at the entirety of the year, you know, we're delivering rye, we're delivering bloodshot, we're bringing back XO. We are plotting out for 2021 when and how those number ones are going to come in. Right. And that's the previously announced stuff like Savage and Final Witness and Shadow Man, um, the recently announced stuff like Ninjak, uh, the stuff that we're getting ready to announce um, early next week that you guys are going to start seeing countdowns for nice. um, beginning tomorrow. Keep your eye out for the Valiant Voice. Keep your eye out on the social media channels. But we got a really exciting announcement, like literally I think next Monday, uh, for something that's coming on the board that you guys have been waiting for for years, literally. So uh, I know what that is. Uh, don't don't spoil it yet. <laughs> um, it's so close, Martin. We're I know, so I know, close. I know. No, it's cool. And our production team has worked so hard on the teasers. <laughs> <laughs> Travis, I've given Travis like twenty notes on these things, like ten <laughs> rounds of notes, trying to get this thing ready for you guys. Um, so no, so what it really comes down to is right now we're keeping we're keeping some of the big characters you know going. We're keeping those tent poles on there, and we're scheduling out how we take over the world in 2021 and what we do it with. Wow. Um, and it's one of those things where you you gotta. My dream would be I could just literally open the floodgates 
and everything comes out next week. Right. Um, unfortunately, that's just not the way the world can work because you got to give these books and these characters and these creative teams the best chance for success possible, right? Yeah. Um, we have great books. We have books that we stand by. We have books that we believe in. Um, and we want, from a sales perspective and a marketing perspective, we want them to have the best opportunities possible. And that's what every decision goes towards right now, is what is the best opportunity? You know, we have certain months of the year that are generally better sales months. Sure. Um, so do you, you know, while it sucks, because it might mean you need to push something back an extra two or three months than you'd want to, but if you do that, you know that you're going to be in a better position than you would be today, right? And that's, yeah. that's the frustrating part of it from my end. I hate it, quite frankly, because it forces me to act like an adult. Um <laughs> Huh. And think think about the big picture, um, but as the goal is to you know beef back up the presence and beef back up the amount of books per month and get these number ones out there, the stuff you know about and the stuff you're going to know about soon. Um, we're just taking a look at the calendar right now, and from our perspective, the calendar really says 2021 is going to be the opportunity that we need to give these books the best chance that they can. Those number ones, right? So that's the story. Yeah, yeah, and I want to talk a little inside baseball too because uh, I mean I'm Go sure I'm sure some listeners don't care about the inside baseball; they just want to read the comics. But uh, but I do think it's important, and in particular, I think for like valiant hardcore fans, right, who are in it through thick and thin. Um, you know, I, I get a, a general feeling that people obviously want new books; that's a given, and we haven't really sure. had a whole lot of that because of the whole pandemic. And now going towards Christmas. We're not really going to get new stuff, per se. Uh, we shouldn't expect that kind of stuff because, I mean, traditionally, I would say that that's not really a good month to release books, right? I mean, you would know better than I as a, as a marketing and sales director, but uh, – So it's you know, interesting. Yeah, go ahead. It's, it's an interesting thing. So it's – you know, um, generally speaking, the uh, November is a good – is a pretty good month to launch a book. Um, December is a good month to launch a miniseries. It's not real good for an ongoing. Mm -hmm. um, November, you can, you can still kind of get away with it. You're kind of early on in the cycle. Um, but if you want to get inside baseball, I, I'm so happy to get inside baseball. This is, this is why you have the sales guy on the team. Right? <laughs> but, uh, so generally speaking, though, because of the ordering cycle, right? people are placing orders two months ahead of time, and then they're placing orders again three weeks ahead of time on every book. Right. So um, most comic shops make about 40 to 60% of their year's profit from Black Friday to December 23rd mm -hmm. every year. It is the most important time of the year for a comic shop. And they're not making that profit just on comics. They're making those profits on gift items. Yep. That's when they're selling the deluxe editions, the on-the-buy, the artist editions. They go crazy on the Funko Pops and board games and everything. And so they save their money to buy those, mostly during those times. So, And then January is generally the dead zone of the year um, when it comes to comic shops and, and retail. January is traditionally a very, very hard month. We try to counter-program that this year with Quantum and Woody uh, coming out in January. We wanted to see if we put a strong offering in January, how it would do and what we could get out of it. 
Um, and the results were very interesting, some positive and, and some negative, but very interesting overall. When you get into February, you're on more solid ground. When you get into March orders, you're good. The winter month is over. People want to go outside again. Um, you see a lot of really strong stuff uh, launching there. You have Emerald City that you can build heat off of. You know, it's kind of really when the year opens back up and the, the budgets open back up for a lot of comic shops. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing. Um, so that's that's really where it comes down to. So you really start seeing like EXO in 2017, March, right? The EXO this year, March. Right. Um, we like to use that month as a big anchor for ourselves. Whereas, you know, last year we had like Forgotten Queen in February, Incursion we did in February. Um, you know, you tend to want to put more like mini series and stuff um, in there. Uh, rising characters and new IP. Uh, February is a pretty good month for that. So that gives you an idea of kind of how we look at the calendar as you get into that first quarter, second quarter of, of the year. But yes, I mean, to your point, it's a very, very strong sales month is December and even November. Um, but they're strongest not so much for comics. They're strongest for the stores for other stuff that they're selling to make their holiday money. Yeah. And again, it's 40 to 60% of their year profit is in a six to seven week period, which is mind boggling. Yeah. But it's also one of the reasons where this year it's, it's a little bit of a crapshoot um, because we don't know if there are more close downs coming, if there are more spikes in cases coming, how is that going to affect everything? How does that affect buying habits? you're going to get into cold weather and you're still going to have restrictions on the amount of people you can have in your comic shop. So how does that affect your foot traffic, which you usually have the highest amount of foot traffic during that time of the year to make that money? So it's, a, it's an interesting time and it's a little bit less um, certain in terms, of the, in terms of the sales habits than it has been in the past. Yeah, I'm curious like how the whole thing has impacted sales in general. I mean, obviously, you guys are down on your publishing schedule. You're doing about two books a month. Um, you know, I, I generally look at Comic-Con numbers, but they've changed the way that they show those numbers as well, right? They show the index now. They are, and, now, and like, ahead, the hardest part with Comic-Con, too, is that they don't actually give you live numbers. Right. Um, they, what Comic-Con does is that they get a ranking from Diamond, yep. right? Diamond puts out a ranking every month. And then Comicron finds out a couple of numbers um, from an, from other publishers, and then use that to create their their equation yep. for everyone else on the list. So the most accurate thing you actually find on Comicron is not actually the numbers. Numbers can be off anywhere from four percent to fifteen percent in terms of sales. Um, but what you are getting an accurate um, depiction of is really the positioning of the comics. So even even Comicron, you have to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. They'll give you a ballpark estimate. Yeah. But again, you're anywhere from four to fifteen percent underreported most months. Very rarely are you a couple percent overreported. But usually you're under four to fifteen percent. Well, and now um, it would be even harder to report numbers like so much make harder. up some number, right? Because you have so many different distributors now. Yeah, with Lunar and UCS, I really have no idea how they're getting those numbers. Um, anymore. It's, it's, a, it's a totally different crapshoot now. Um, and so really the, the thing about it with sales is it's kind of all over the place right now. Um, DC's numbers you know, are changing a bit um, because of 
you know, their distribution system. Marvel, their numbers are changing a little bit because of how many titles they've reduced to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got people like IDW who's just like, we're not changing anything. We're still going <laughs> 30, 35 bucks a month. Right. Go for it. Um, Vault, you know, changed how they spaced out their number one. They're revving back up. So it's, it's a wonky time, quite frankly, to be a comic shop and figure out this ordering system because you do have customers who want new content, but are they new customers? Are they returning customers? Are they both? Um, you know, I mean, some numbers are very, very steady, and they're exactly what they were pre-COVID. Um, other publishers are getting killed, and some other publishers are actually doing a little bit better. So it's it's a real crapshoot right now, and it's so much of what you're offering, when you're offering, and what's the competition. And every publisher is still figuring this out on a week-to-week basis right now. Yeah. How, uh, how are you guys adapting to what the, the scene looks to be changing into? I'm curious. Um, I think that this is – I think that we're going to come out of this for one of the most exciting times for comics, quite frankly. I think that one of the things you're seeing a lot more of right now is you're seeing newer stores are actually doing really, really, really well. And I think part of it is because they're very aggressive marketing campaigns, hmm. right? Um, stores are doing uh, expanded mail ordering that they hadn't been doing before. They're right. doing sales through their Facebook channels, through their Instagram channels. Um, you're seeing this type of aggressive marketing going to the consumers in a way that you know, either they just didn't have the bandwidth before, they didn't have a sense of urgency to do it before, um, but you're seeing that change. You're seeing a lot of, um, you're seeing some stores go online only because they don't want to be paying the rent, and mm-hmm. you know there's some uncertainty as far as foot traffic um, going forward, so they'll take their chances that way. And you're seeing tremendous success. So it's it's really exciting. So what we're doing is we're getting more aggressive, quite frankly. Um, you know, keeping in touch with those top 100 accounts, but we're also you know partnering up with like John Boy Myers to do auctions of his cover art with stores. We are, you know, creating social media graphics for store exclusives. You'll see the uh, the Circle City Comics one for uh, Ryan number seven and Frankie's comics, uh, Alan Qua homage to Detective 880 for Bloodshot number nine. So you're going to see this pump individual store initiatives a little bit more, I think, um, than before which is very exciting because we want to partner with it. We want to highlight these uh, really exciting and aggressive new uh, sales channels that these guys are doing. Yeah, I was actually really curious about that. And I've talked to a few folks like Lisa and stuff about it um, because, um, you know, like, for example, when when Fred would do interviews, Fred's obviously been around the industry for a very long time. And and my concern when the pandemic hit is how is this going to affect shops? Because Valiant traditionally – has always been, and I mean most publishers, I would say, have been very gun ho on supporting comic shops, uh, and for good mm-hmm. reason. And I think there's multiple levels of that, uh, some of which are not often addressed publicly. Um, I think one of them being the collector's market, for example. Uh, but but I was really curious how you guys would change your strategy by still supporting the shops when the shops kind of have to go in a different direction, right? Because comics have really been done basically the same way for forever. Boy, don't I know it. <laughs> and, let's be, and, and let's be very blunt here. 
the ordering system for mm-hmm. comics is counterintuitive. Right. Um, it just is. It's it's an it's an industry that doesn't make it easy on itself, and that's okay. You know, we're all in that boat together. We we make it work. Um, but one of the things that we're hearing from a lot of shops is we're hearing about a lot of trade waiting. We're hearing about a lot of people who buy issue one yeah. and they wait for the trade paperback to come out, right? So I think that that's I think especially now just consumerism has changed. The habits have changed. We are a binge culture now. Um, my much infinitely better half is a big fan of Great British Bake Show, right? <laughs> New season. Now, she's been watching it all on Netflix, uh-huh. and she's watching season after season. She just consumes 10 episodes a day. New season's coming on Netflix, but they're only doing one episode at a time, and she has to wait a week in between, and she is furious about it. And I'm like, she's, you know, she's, she's not old. You know, she remembers what it was like when you waited a week to see another sure. episode of television. But she's so used to consuming you know, all at once at a good discount because it's a monthly fee. And you're seeing, I think you're seeing that too, especially in new readers, casual readers, younger readers. That's their mentality. They're not used to doing, you know, to waiting a month at a time for 20 pages, right? It's, they're looking for, all right, let me try this out. Great. Now where's the collection? Cool. And I'll tell you what they do. They come back the next week for another trade paperback. When I was working in a shop, I had so many customers who would pick up a few single issues here and there, but if I had a volume one of a series for $9.99, they'd buy it in a heartbeat and come back the next week and say, give me two, three, and four. Mm-hmm. And that customer's out there, but that's not a pull box customer. That's not a Wednesday Warrior customer. It's a whole different animal, and you're seeing more and more and more of those um, as you get into it, which is very exciting and very cool, but it goes against the traditional Wednesday warrior. Right. One of the things we're hearing from comic shops is that Wednesday is no longer necessarily the best day of the week because now that you don't have an office to uh, go from after work to come into yet your comics, Thursdays are doing better, Fridays are doing better, Sundays are doing better. Even before COVID hit, we were hearing Friday and Saturdays on some shops were the best day of the week, not Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And those people aren't just buying single issues. Those people are buying trade paperbacks. So one of the things that we're looking at is we're saying, okay, how long does the series need to be? How many trade paperbacks should it be? What's the pricing on that? How soon do you need them in the hand? How do you promote that in a different way? How are you going to, is there a digital component somewhere in there? Is there something we can offer? Any publisher who's not reevaluating every principle that they ever thought uh, was according to Hoyle is doing themselves a disservice. Now is the best time to reevaluate everything and evolve. And you're going to see some of that with us as well. Single issues are the bread and butter. The direct market is the bread and butter. We love it. We support it. It's where we're going. It's not going to be um, number two on our focus anytime soon. What we are going to do is we're going to say, all right, but how do we build? And how is the direct market changing? That's the biggest question right now. I'm curious, has, uh, has DC moving to a Tuesday schedule changed some of that? No. Okay. Yeah, I was curious. Not at all. Uh, I, I mean, I remember when I was, I mean, this was even not that long ago, probably 10, 15 years ago, when comics were still coming out. I guess it was either Tuesday or Thursday. Uh, it wasn't uh, Wednesday was yet. Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday, right? And yeah. then they then they changed to Wednesday, and everyone was like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Um, 
Hmm. Yeah, okay. Now, DC moving to Tuesday was the best thing Marvel could have asked for. <laughs> You're going to have the the only book I've heard from retailers that people are going in Tuesday for was Three Jokers, number one. That's the only one. Oh, wow. Um, mostly people will put the DC on their pull list and they'll pick it up on Wednesdays. I'm sure there are some stores where that's not the case, but Three Jokers was really the first DC book I heard that people were lining up on Tuesday for when the store opened. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I I don't know anyone that works at – well, I mean, I know a couple people that work at DC, but I don't have any inside knowledge. Uh, it, it just seems like um, – uh, And I'm, I'm, only speaking, I'm only speaking based on the communication from our sure, retail partner. Of course, of course. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, I'll, I'll throw some commentary out here. It seems like one of those things that happens when you have people that don't understand comics running a comics company. Um, I do, and I don't know that I agree with that. I think that one, I, I think that DC has been looking at getting more into um, kids' books and graphic novels mm -hmm. for a few years now, and I think that they're seeing the marketplaces growing on trade paperbacks. They're seeing that um, young adults and all ages uh, graphic novels are a major driver of that growth. And I think they're seeing what the rest of us are seeing, which is that single-issue comics, the sales across the board for, as an industry is pretty much within 2 to 5% of where they were even three years ago, right? And so DC's going, okay, our bottom line is where's the growth opportunity? Sure, right. Um, every comic shop I talk to wants more all-ages and young adult content, every single one. All of them are asking for bigger pushes for trade paperbacks. All of them. Um, and so I think that DC's been building with DC Kids, um, you know, and changing their book distributor over to Penguin Random House. You know, this is something that's been building for a few years, I think, from there. That's where they're seeing the growth. So, and that's where they want to put their energy to. I am not surprised at all that DC Collectibles is going the way of the Dodo. There's no way they were making a lot of money on that. There's not much money in statues. Yeah. <laughs> As a shop owner, there isn't much money. You have maybe 15% profit on a statue that you buy. Maybe, all depending on the shipping. So I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, they're looking for the growth opportunities. Think about it this way, Martin. The single-issue comic sales in shops are pretty much even over the last three years. However, you are still getting more books every year, more single issues. So there's more product, more publishers. There's about 100 individual items a month pre-COVID were coming out. It was about 400 two years ago for the same amount of sales. That's the issue. Yeah. That's the big problem. That's yeah. what DC is looking at. It's what we're looking at. It's what Marvel's looking at. It's what every publisher is looking at. And so you're going, okay, if this is staying flat, but there's more competition, where's the growth opportunities? Where do you go? And I think DC has, has made their bets on where that growth opportunity is. They did it with Black Label. You know, they, that's basically, we're going to go hit the tweener between graphic novels and single issues by doing oversized stuff, sold like hotcakes. Mm -hmm. Stores were ready to revolt against them. There's no way to shelve it. And then you realize you don't need it because it was selling out day one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I get you that. You know what? You turn it on the side and you put it in the in the in the uh, in the bins. You know, we adapted to it, um, and it became a big money maker for DC. Easily, they were selling as many copies of 
Batman damned as they were selling of Batman. Right. And it was a seven ninety nine price point instead of a three ninety nine. Doesn't sound like a dumb move to me. Sure. Um <laughs> so as someone who looks at profit and loss, um, so it's one of those things. I think that they just they're looking at where the opportunity is and they're going from there. But yes, they're trying new things, they're trying to expand, they're trying to cut what's not making the money and focus on where they can and what that content would be. And, and that's why I'm, it's I'm, a very, very yeah, different approach. That, that's why I'm glad we're having a chance to talk about some of this more insider baseball stuff because totally. I, th- I think a lot of times as comic fans, we just don't think about the the business side of things, right? You're just like, oh, well, you know, Valley's only putting two books out. They're going under, like, you know, all this kind of stuff, uh, which is just Opposite. ridiculous. You got to, you got to, kind of bring it down to a level that makes sense and sell what sells because otherwise there won't be a company around to sell that stuff. The reason we're down to what we are now is so that Valiant will be here for many, many more years to come. We're looking at this again. It's all about the macro. It's all about the long term. We're not going anywhere. Um, But what we are doing is we have the luxury of being able to play the long game. We don't have to worry about a short term you know, return. We can focus on what is the healthiest strategy for the company over the next five years, not over the next five months. Right. And that's the key. That's how we're playing this. And it's frustrating and it's, you know, it, it requires a lot of patience for this for 2020 and into the first quarter of 2021. But stick with it. Trust that we are looking at the health of the company for the long term and how that's going to work. And we will, you will start seeing those number ones come out. You will see the books that were advertised. You are going to see the new stuff. But it is all in service of the long-term health of the company in the marketplace. So yeah, that's that's all. You know, that's as reassuring as I can get for you. No, I mean that's that makes perfect sense to me. Um, you you mentioned young adult stuff earlier, and uh, you guys yeah. did put out the uh, the faith taking flight, uh, which Greg mm-hmm. was kind enough to send me a copy, and my daughter read it. She loved it. Uh, I'm curious. Oh, great. Yeah, she she did. She really liked it. Uh, I think uh, she even got they even got uh, Julie to sign it, so she was super happy about that. Oh, awesome. Um, but but that leads to my question. You know, my my daughter is one of these people that likes to binge read, and uh, and she loves reading comics, but not in a single issue format. Um, and there you go. You know, she's to, the new customer. She's the new customer. But you know, going by what DC's doing, she loves picking up the DC young adult stuff. Because they're graphic yep. novels, right? Like she's fine with yep. a, a young adult novel, but she likes the pictures. And and I'm curious yeah. if you guys have have thought about moving more in that direction, and and not necessarily with just faith, although obviously faith appeals to that demographic, uh, but with maybe some of the other characters. So how do you have a bug in my Zoom chat? <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> What what dead side portal did you use? Uh, for, man, <laughs> a, a long time ago, I bugged all the offices and all the phones at Valiant. <laughs> I think that I, I the the answer to your question is that we are absolutely looking at at doing more young adults um, and all ages content, not just with faith. And I actually think one um, uh, Doctor Tomorrow is a great yeah um, example of a book that's skewing a bit younger for us. Especially the trade paperback, we actually went in and we made some content changes, um, very small stuff, just to make sure that it was 
you know, of appropriate age groups so that it is, you know, young adult appropriate. Um, that's coming out, I believe, end of October, actually, yep. is, is what's on the schedule. It might be a couple weeks later, but we'll see. And then from there, um, believe it or not, um, this is something that we're looking at, sure, with, with Projects for Faith, but there's some other characters that are coming up uh, that you're going to see us kind of skewing into that territory as well. Um, we're talking about, you know, changing about the formats of what that would look like. Um, and I'm actually hoping that over the next, I would say, three to six months, you're going to see and hear some more announcements from us. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, Dr. Tamora oh, is a perfect be. example. I'm very excited <laughs> about uh, Dr. Tamora is a perfect example. And I talked to Alejandro about this when I had him on a few weeks ago, uh, right before the last issue came out. Um, because that's that's one of the only Valiant books that I've been able to have my kids read along with me and we all enjoy yeah. right because most of them lean towards like an older demographic um and uh and how was, old is your daughter so the youngest one is 10 and then the other one's about to turn 17 ah great all right so we have plenty of stuff for the 17 year old it's the 10 year old sure um, yes well yeah and actually she, you know, she I, the oldest one's read um dr mirage for example she really likes that oh god it's so beautiful yeah. that that last series especially with mick robles artwork yeah, and yeah. Jordi Belair's colors. Holy smoke! <laughs> um, no, and I think I think you're gonna see, I think you're gonna see, you know, several. I'm I'm actually getting an email right now <laughs> about a project exactly for that. Um, so tell your daughter to hang in there because it's coming. Um, honestly, I I may even be able to for our February solicits. There might be something that the ten year old could read along with. Oh, nice! And it's going to surprise you when I tell you this, but it's going to be one of those things that you are going to have as much fun reading as she will. Nice. Um, and it's a character that I don't think you're expecting, but it's an extremely exciting direction for them. It's uh, Bloodshot's Nighttime Stories. <laughs> Uh, we actually call it Twilight Stories. <laughs> oh, is it a sparkly cover? Is it? Is it? Is it a what is it? A bedazzled no, it's, cover? It's, but it is. You know the old um, like stickers you put above your ceiling that would glow <laughs> yes. in the dark. We're gonna put those on there. Uh, I love that. I love that. That's actually a good uh, a good way to segue into the the collector question I had, because if I don't ask sure. it, uh, my my co-host Duan is gonna kill me. Uh, he's he's a huge collector. No, not the one. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a huge collector, and uh, you know one of the things that one of the issues with a a reduced publishing schedule uh, and and less number ones is kind of um, I don't want to say a move away, but like there's less for a collector in terms of Valiant stuff, right? Like if you're if you're a Valiant Absolutely. fan, you're gonna buy the books regardless, right? But the collectors want that like glass cover, the gold covers, or whatever. Um, how are you guys addressing that with – I mean obviously right now it's kind of a transition time. I get that. But going into 2021, um, not including bringing in new books, how is how is the collector market being addressed by Valiant? Well, that is an excellent question. I appreciate <laughs> you asking. Um, so bottom line is right now for the rest of 2020, there's probably only going to be one or two – um, kind of collector opportunities um, in there. I think the store exclusive covers are going to be a bit of an opportunity for that mm -hmm. um, in the coming months. So, you know, like Frankie's um, uh, 
Electron number nine, that's a very limited print run. We have a few exclusive covers for Exo number two. We might even have another one um, coming in the world. We have two or three of those to collect. They're all limited print runs, you know, anywhere from 150 to a few hundred. So they're pretty rare out there. Um, so that gives you something as the collector to chase down. The next gold book, I have an idea that's a crazy idea um, that I don't think has ever been done for Valiant. <laughs> and you know, might break Fred Pierce, but we're going to see. Um, um, and we'll see what it's going to be. Uh, but I think I can get you one more uh, for the fall. Let's put it that way. Um, from there, we're actually talking about this uh, this week, Fred and I and uh, John Petrie and Danny Ward of the sales team, is we're going to be talking a little bit about what those ratio covers are going to be, what those incentives are going to be um, for the 2021 books. So you're going to definitely see some more. I'm hoping even as early as February of next year, you're going to see um, some collector opportunities out there for some 1 in 20s. Um, for Shadowman, obviously, you know, we've had the 1 in 250 on the docket. As mm -hmm. far as I know, we're still going ahead with it. We're looking at some other opportunities similar to like the Fool's Gold variants, uh, which there were only like 200 of those made um, from Quantum Winnie number one. Mm -hmm. So there, there will be some collection opportunities. We're also coming out with more hardcovers um, in the fall, I believe. Harbinger Wars 2 Deluxe is up next. And then we're getting ready to announce um, a new offering that will be on sale in March of next year for hardcover editions. So we're, we're taking a look. Um, right now, it, it, the world is the way it is. We've got to be a little bit more circumspect. So we're really leaning on more of the, the store exclusives as being you know, something for the collectors to go after um, for the next couple of months. But as we get towards the end of the year, I'm hoping for something cool. And then again, as we get into the first quarter of 2021, tell Dewan he will have one or two things to chase down. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you, the you know, everyone's always chasing variants and all this stuff uh, to collect. But if you want to do some, like, serious collecting for flipping, hardcovers is where it's at. Uh, hardcovers is absolutely worth yeah. that. I yeah. totally agree. We don't go back to print on hardcovers. The yeah. only one we have gone back to print on, I think, is the Divinity Deluxe, and we put a whole new cover on there so that it couldn't be confused with the first printing. Yeah. Um, and then we had a limited for local comic shop day, uh, the Exo Man War by Kent, um, the first one. We had a, a different printing just for local comic shop day. Um, but that's really about it when it comes to hardcovers. Yeah. Um, we we print for for that customer and for that market. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So it, it really is the place to do it. Yep. No, that's true. Um, all right, let's let's move to EXO. I want to talk about EXO because uh, I don't know if you uh, I don't know if you've it. heard. Let's talk about EXO. EXO is one of my favorite characters of Valiant. It's it's the book that brought me to Valiant in '93. So uh, I'm I, I wanted to get a feel from you as to what the push is going to be for XO2. And and the reason I ask that is because XO1 would have come out nine months or eight months before XO2. And yes, it has. That sh that's kind of concerning in terms of how well that would sell, right? So right now the early indications is that it's actually moving pretty well. Nice. Um, <laughs> this XO2. Um, so here's the cool thing. So for Exo 2, we've actually you're going to see a media blitz, Craig, right now. With we're putting Dennis Hallam out there 
every single week until issue two comes onto the stand. Mm -hmm. You're seeing store exclusive covers for EXO. You're going to see probably we're going to end up offering um, uh, restock quantity for stores for number one. We actually printed and made sure Diamond has enough for reorders. So people who don't have enough, they sold out back then, can reorder now. Um, so you're going to see it push really hard. The other thing, the cool thing about EXO2 right now also is that EXO2 is the first full appearance of the new villain. Um, EXO2, um, EXO actually goes through a major status quo change uh, from issues three into issue four. Um, and the relationship here is so focused on Shanhara and Arik in a way that is just mind-blowingly fun. Um, crazy new monsters, new villains, Emilio Lesa's artwork on there is absolutely extraordinary. Because you got to remember, for those of you who haven't reread X01 recently, the end of X01, he's literally on the ground with a giant robot pointing a gun at his head saying, you're right. dead. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's a cliffhanger. So, so the cool thing, too, is X02 picks up right there with a big, badass fight. Um, and so it just doesn't stop. Like, the, it hits the ground running and running and running, and it's building to a crazy end of that first arc. Um, so you're going to see a lot of, I mean, it's, it's just a crazy big budget, you know, blockbuster action film, which at the heart of it is really going to be examining the central relationship in all of XL Man of War's existence, which is him and Shanhara, in a way that hasn't been done before. Yeah, I'm really curious and to see how that evolves, because we, we haven't really seen that relationship between the two since, like, old school Valiant, no. right? Um, you know what's fascinating? Um, are you a Doctor Who fan? Yes. Do you remember the episode The Doctor's Wife where he gets yes. to meet the TARDIS? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On some level, the entire run of Dennis Hope <laughs> is the Doctor's Wife, but instead of you know one episode, you get many. Um, <laughs> and how it evolves, and it's like, but that's that's one of the things I can equate it to the best. Um, I was just rewatching it the other day, and just I and I cried. Because um, I always cry at that episode. It's so beautiful. But um, but it's incredible because literally we've had XO for 30 years and what is one of the most pivotal relationships in his life um, is, is Shanhara. And Matt Kent did a really interesting way of his exploring the relationship there from a certain perspective. But now Shanhara gets to be such an active participant in that relationship in a way that hasn't been before which is different, but the potential for the story has always been there. That's what's so cool. You know, we're not breaking too many rules here. We're literally just going, this rule is something that we've never bent before. It's something we've never explored. Let's try it. Let's see where it goes. That's what's really neat about it. And, and yet you're, seeing, you're seeing really cool things. You're going to see Shadow Man push in a direction that he's always dabbled in, but has never gone full force. For Ninjak, you're going to see this insane, like, European born identity kind of style of, um, of storytelling that is just crazy. I've, I've never seen panel layout the way Javier Polito is laying out the storytelling in this book um, for Ninjak, ever. Yeah. Um, and it makes perfect sense. It's like he's, he's a master spy. He's a, everything's chess with this guy. Um, the book you're going to hear about next week, um, same difference. 
So, and that's one of the things that I love about our editorial team right now is they're not just content with doing what came before. They want to push boundaries, and they want to push boundaries in a way that say, hey, come in if you've never read Valiant before. And for those of you who've gone away, come back. And this is a way to do it. And it's, it's just crazy. It's absolutely crazy, just the fearlessness for the storytelling. I, I think one thing that I can say about the, the whole pandemic is that it does allow folks to try new things, uh, including publishers. Mm -hmm. and, and you guys yeah. are you know, always relaunching series in, in a new and, and different direction. And, uh, you know, as Valley fans, we have to remember that, like, it doesn't always have to be the way that it was, right? The the new launch point is the perfect time to try something new and explore things in a different direction and also bring new people in. So that, that is important. It is. And, and the way the comics are structured, the cyclical nature of it, right, is that you, you want to be able to make sure that you have those access points. You want to make sure you have the ability to bring in new people. Um, and listen, you're, you're going to have people that turn away, so you're going to have an opportunity to bring them back on. Yeah. Um, you see that with like Ed Brubaker's run on Captain America, perfect example. Mm -hmm. um, you know, David Aja and Matt Fraction on Hawkeye. Um, you know, you, you take characters that maybe you've had a, a dwindling audience for a while, but you create a new one. Um, Batman, how many creative teams <laughs> They're all the start to be points, right? Yeah. You see this all the time with every character that has a long publishing history. And we're nothing new, nothing special in terms of that. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, but again, it's opportunity, and it's a disservice to you, and it's a disservice to the characters if we don't keep pushing the boundaries and keep inviting people in. Yeah, and that's why I'm I'm actually really excited for Ninjak. I mean, the most excited I'm for is Shadow Man, uh, because I, I love oh, Colin so Bunn and I love John Davis so Hunt. Um, but but I think with Ninjak, based on the stuff that most of us have seen, uh, it seems like a very big departure, right? And and I think one thing to remember is that like you guys have a really good team on this, right? With Javier and Nate, and I think the problem oh, is Parker, not not, just... not yeah exactly. Well, and not being able to imagine like what these two people can do that generally do books that are very different from from what Ninjak would be. Well, the beauty of it is is that from you have Jeff Parker, and Jeff Parker, he's worked on Bond, he's worked on Aquaman, he's worked on Thunderbolts and Punisher. Like, he has a very good history of writing character-driven action books in all different settings, mm -hmm. right? And he's a Ninjak fan. That's the coolest part of this, too. He's a longtime Ninjak fan. So... You're getting a writer who's very familiar with the style of storytelling for Ninjak and for the different genres that he plays into. And then you're bringing in Javier Polito. And Javier is the, you know, the biggest um, kind of you know, evolution for the character forward. And yeah. it is a very you know, European style that he's bringing. But you also have one of the top five, I'd argue, Spider-Man artist of the last 25 years, right. and it's not because he does a lot. He does it in, you know, and with not a whole lot of track record. He's very selective with his projects, but he's one of the most respected artists in the industry. When we made the announcement, I don't think I've had that many creators reach out to us and say, "Holy crap, you got Javier Pulido!" <laughs> killed the work that guy. And I'm talking about every big name you could think of 
that's currently writing at Marvel, DC, Image, Boom, IDW, Dynamite, they all reached out to us and said, holy smokes, you got Javier? And we're like, yup. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the thing about Javier, too, is it's, it's his storytelling. His storytelling is a master class. People have tried to imitate Javier Polito for years and years and years and years the same way they do with David Aja. Um, he has influenced so many people in this industry in the last couple decades, and people aren't even aware of it. So to have that level of storytelling paired up with a guy who's so on the nose with what style of stories Ninjak fits best into, yeah. it's an incredible marriage. I'm really excited for people to read that first issue. Well, and you know what it is? He's got... I mean, he comes from a European school of art, right? So the European yeah. comics are very different in the way that they're structured and the panels flow. And and I think maybe oh, yeah. that comes as a shock a little bit to people that are used to more traditional American comics. Uh, but but we've seen this before. Like when, when you guys brought on uh, Juan Jose Rip, a lot of folks were yeah. like, Rip? Like what? Who, who the hell is this guy? And now he's like everyone's favorite. You know what I mean? Well, it's one of those things too. Look, anything different is... You, you sometimes get a knee-jerk reaction, right? Of like, mm, I don't know. You know, um, what was it? Are you a pro wrestling fan at all? Uh, not really. I used to be. Never mind. So uh, <laughs> I'll use an analogy. You know what it is? It's like a new pair of jeans. You know, you get a new pair of jeans, and at first it's like, mm, it's a little snug, it's a little tight, don't know if I like the fit. Right. You wear them for a week, and then all of a sudden that you never want to take them off for the next 20 years. <laughs> and they're your favorite pair of jeans, and you wear them for 30 days at a time before right. you even wash them. You just refuse to take them off. Sometimes that's what changing up creative teams can be like. You see it with movie castings all the time as well. You know How many people thought Heath Ledger being cast as the Joker mm-hmm. was going to destroy the franchise of, of the Batman trilogy? And it didn't. But you've got to give it a chance. You've got to give it time for people to settle in and go, ah, let me try it. Let me see. You know, Some people get excited right off the bat. Some people go, oh, I don't know. And then they see the proof in the storytelling. Yeah. And that's the key. The one thing that I hope that we do is that we try to always you know, say, look, give us an issue. Give us one issue. Give us two issues. See if you like it. See, you know understand that we're doing this with characters in mind and with the best storytelling and the best creative teams in mind. Um, and you go from there, you know. But I totally understand the knee-jerk reactions from, from some section of the fandom. And I just say to them, you know, trust the process. Read that first issue. Yeah, just wait and read see. Read the issue. Yeah. Yeah, That's it's the it. same thing with... Uh, and, uh, I confused them earlier. I said Nate. But Nate's doing uh, Savage. Holy smokes, dude. Yeah, I was that looking... Book, I, I was checking out his Twitter this morning. He's got some awesome stuff on there with Savage. His, I mean, I, I mean, Savage. Like I was looking at new pages the other day, and I was just like, I want to buy this. I want to buy that. I want to. <laughs> I'm just like, and I can't afford to. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just like, but I might anyway. Um, Nate Stockman is such an underappreciated artist who is really going to wow people with this book. Um, it's, he and Max are taking exactly where um, B. Claymore and Clayton and Lewis left off with that character, being in London, right, at the tail end of that first series, and they are going balls to the wall with this. <laughs> it, is, it is some of the most exciting 
energetic storytelling I've seen out of a Valiant book, and that's saying something. Mm-hmm. But Nate's Nate's going to blow everybody away. Just the sheer the sheer energy. Greg and I talk about it all the time. The sheer energy of his artwork um, is just something you, you you read it and, you, and suddenly you're vibrating. You're like, why, why am I so excited? Uh, it's just amazing. So I cannot wait for that to come out, and that will be out sooner than you think. Yeah, so. that's that's uh, that's one of my big hopes for that book is uh, is Nate. Um, I uh, I love Max. Let me, don't get me wrong. Let me let me make this very clear. I love Max Bemis. I I I grew up listening to his band too. So like I've been a long time Max Bemis fan. Um, but uh, you know the problem with me with Max is that he had a run on Moon Knight, which was I thought very good. Uh, but not really what I wanted for Moon Knight. And Moon Knight is one of those characters like Batman and EXO that's very dear to my heart. And so when someone does something that I don't – like doesn't jive with me, I'm just like, eh. But I think it could be very interesting to see it. And I, I did read the first issue, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, I think the direction is different, but I also can't judge from a first issue. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I always like to give books at least an arc to know what's going on, and and I think that's – pretty fair because you know from 22 pages to 20 pages you can't really judge where a story is going to go right and uh and i have high hopes for what savage could be and i don't expect it to be anything like b clay stuff right and i think that's important to remember that it's not just a a, no, a, a new take on b on on b clay stuff uh but but trying to bring the character more into his own and and that's something that you can't do with just a four issue series like what b clay did uh, you have to have multiple issues coming out to to expand that character a little bit. In a lot of ways, I really feel like B. Clay um, gave the setup for the character in yeah. a lot of ways, you know, because it's so much of that first series is his parents and it's him getting off the island, right? And it's setting up to say, okay, this is where the character comes from. Now the next question is, who is Savage in the world? Um, off that island, right? That's the question that he really sets up at the end of it. What is he going to do in London? What is he going to be like? How is he going to fit into the world? Um, How does this character evolve now that you know the base of who this character is? And I think that (laughs) Max and Nate have really seized on that question, and that's what they're exploring um, in in ways that are just so fun um, and that I think are going to be really really eye-opening for a lot of fans out there. But, you know, but I think still they're very much honoring who Savage is. They're honoring his family. They're honoring where he comes from. And now you get to really play with that juxtaposition of this kid who grew up on an island of dinosaurs <laughs> by himself. How does he fit into literally modern-day London? How does he fit into the world? And it's going to be in ways that are some are expected, some are totally unexpected. And that's part of the fun of the adventure. Yeah. And truly, this book is an adventure book. All right. So next week is New York Comic Con. Uh, sure. Very weird to have these online cons. But I guess, like, whatever. It's better than nothing. Uh, you guys have a panel. That panel includes some discussion of a Harbinger movie, um, among other things, I'm sure. What can you tease out on what this panel might uh, bring forth to fans? Well, I think that this panel is going to really set the stage for what 2021 is going to look like for Valiant. 
Um, I think that between Heather and Lisa, Jeff Parker, Dennis, um, our mystery guests, who you're going to hear about <laughs> next week as part of this announcement, um, I think you're really going to see the scope and, and what the vision for 2021 is going to look like from Valiant. Um, we're going to have the new series reveal, and it's going to play into that. You might get some tidbits about the video game stuff. You might get some tidbits about other things that I can't talk about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but if you want to if you want to see what 2021 is going to look like from the Valiant end of the pool, this is where you want to go. Go to that Metaverse panel. It's going to be on Sunday, uh, October 11th. I believe it's 12:40 p.m. Um, we filmed it last week. The crew had an absolute blast. It was awesome having Comic Pop on there as the moderators. Um, and quite frankly, uh, you're going to see a new announcement in the next couple days, too, uh, with a lot more um, content to follow along and to get some more behind-the-scenes take stuff on what's going on at Valiant and in the community. So literally, stay tuned for Wednesday, September 30th. Uh, you're going to see a new announcement. Very exciting. Yeah, that's that's why I'm glad I, that you came on, man. You know, there's so much gloom and doom. I think it's just like we just have to get what over 2020. Look, every look, buddy. Let me tell you, <laughs> <laughs> there's Listen, doom and gloom everywhere from everybody. Nah, I mean, there's no doom and gloom to worry about with Valiant right now. The cool yeah. thing is that if anything, what this is doing is it's giving us time to set up more programs, more fun things, more ways to be interactive. Um, it's you know forcing us to reevaluate all of our publishing strategies, all of our assumptions about the marketplace, so that we can grow, so that we can expand, so that we can evolve um, our presence from things like the Valiant Hero of the Week to a new initiative you're going to find out about tomorrow, to having these really fun countdowns, to big announcements, to being able to spread out some of these announcements. Um, like you're you're just from the video game stuff, we've got things that the fans have been clamoring for for years were on the cusp of being able to deliver. The only thing that happened is some of it got delayed. Right. Yeah. And that sucks. Yeah. But it's still coming. No one's hitting the no one's hit the stop button on this stuff. <laughs> so. so as as marketing and sales director, how how closely involved are you with uh, some of these other merchandising opportunities, like the games and toys and stuff like that? Um, I mean, I'm brought in more afterwards. Right. Um, you know, it's you know the the licensing division really works on on you know the video game stuff, the puzzles that we just announced um, yesterday, which I'm going to be throwing up a photo of of my completed Bloodshot puzzle. Nice. Um, on the social soon. <laughs> um, it's a hard puzzle. It's rewarding. It's a hard <laughs> puzzle. Um, Bloodshot ain't easy, folks. I bet. But um, but no. So from my side, really, what it is is uh, licensing keeps us posted on the marketing side and says, here's the deals we're working on. Here's what's going on. And then we get in touch with the uh, the companies and we coordinate the marketing campaigns for it more than gotcha. anything else. Um, and we go from there, you know. And a lot of the markets really aren't the same as uh, what the publishing side does. So it's you know it's it's done in a very very different way, um, and obviously you know all the film stuff that's the, you know I I get excited when I get new news. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
No, that's cool. I mean, I'm I'm excited for a lot of stuff, right? Like in particular the games because I love games almost as much as I love comics. You should be. And uh, you should be. I've seen I, what they're cooking up. You should be. Good, good. I I saw the trailer for the Shadow Man game. It looks cool. I I own the old one, so it's cool that I'm gonna be able to play an updated version. But I'm I'm excited to see what the other stuff is. Because uh, there's been like a couple. I, I can't wait for that. Uh, there, there's there's been like a little bit of that before, right? Like there was that little uh, card game kind of. Um, there was that like eight uh, bit. Yeah, like quid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was that eight bit. Uh, I think it was Harbinger game from like way back for the phone. Yeah. Way way back, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would love to see uh, more stuff no, like is, that. This is console games proper, man. And I did say games plural. Nice. So it's um, there's so much in the works on that side of it right now. So there's a universe game, there are character specific games you're going to see. You got the remaster of the Shadow Man game, like it's it's all in the pipeline. We're talking to Blowfish, it feels like every week um for their stuff and we're just we're literally now waiting for Night Dive to give us the um, uh the finalized release date for the remaster game so we should cool. be hearing pretty soon um as to you know when that's going to be back out so Yeah and games are hard right because it takes years to make a game Oh gosh I well I mean look it takes it takes a, at least it takes a year to make <laughs> that's a comic That's true <laughs> <laughs> That's so true uh, all right, one last question. What, what's, yeah, the, what's the status of action figures? Oh, oh, Martin. <laughs> Listen, um, I just want my EXO action figure. Okay, that's what I want. When can I get it? Oh, Martin. Oh, Martin. <laughs> How do I? What can I say? What can I say? Um, keep the faith. <laughs> Your um, your patience will be rewarded. Um, the when, the who, how many, what's part of the first wave. I think that um, it's going to be a very fun next several months for you. Nice. Put it that way. Good enough for me. I mean, th- there's only so many Minimates I can buy. You know what I mean? Like, they don't even make them anymore. I, I think we all deserve that. Nice seven-inch, you know, certain figure out there. <laughs> Put in our Valiant collection right next to that McFarland Bloodshot figure. There you go. Man, those McFarland toys. Uh, all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's wrap it up here, man. I want to thank you for your time. Any final words? Um, final words. Final words. Um, if you are not subscribed to the Valiant Voice, I do recommend it. It's our free weekly newsletter. Um, you're going to see exclusive breaking news in there literally as of tomorrow. Um, so keep your eye out. Keep your eyes peeled to all of our social channels that are out there. Um, but I think that the the Metaverse panel is really going to be a harbinger of what's to come in 2021. And, uh, I see what you did there. You know, the future, the future is going to be really bright. So... You know, keep your sunglasses on because it's coming at you. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Matt. You are the best. Don't tell Greg I said that because I tell him he's the best. Uh, did, is that going to make air? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Cool. Of course. I'll just tell him, listen until the last 60 seconds. And then <laughs> Greg needs double the pay and <laughs> no vacation, though. <laughs> <laughs> 
He needs to never go. take a vacation. <laughs> All right, man. I appreciate it a lot. Mark, I can't, I can't say enough. Thank you so much for having me on today. Um, I really appreciate it. I'm happy to come back anytime. I'm just happy to hear you're staying safe and healthy um, during all this, and I hope all the listeners are and you know and interact with us on social media. You know, reach out to us whether it's Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram. We're listening. We're keeping an eye. We're trying to have a lot of fun with you guys out there, and um, you know, and it's a real honor for us to get to talk to the fans directly because without you, there is no us. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Valiant Central Podcast. Again, thank you to Matthew Klein for joining me on the show. And, of course, Greg Katzman, the man behind the scenes, setting the whole thing up. I really appreciated that. And uh, lots to digest in terms of the conversation that we had because we did kind of run the gamut of all things Valiant on this particular uh, discussion. So I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get in touch with us, you can, of course, find us on Twitter. Travis is at The Great Magnet. Duan is at Collect Valiant. I'm at Geekbine, and the show is at Valiant underscore Central. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one.